The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the man who moves markets, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, is back with a huge call on stocks you will not want to miss. Plus, chips gone wild, the semi-ETF hitting a 52-week high as the semi-stocks soar this year. We will tell you which have more room to run. But we start off with a rally heard round the world, literally. Emerging markets hitting the highest level since August today, adding to the global rally we've seen this year. China, the U.S., Germany, Brazil, Japan, all up double digits as hopes of a trade deal loom. Does this rally have legs? What should you be buying? Is there an emerging market specialist in the house? Oh, yes, my and I'm, I'm in a different seat tonight, and therefore I, I get this assignment. I, I think, look, if you, if you think about the data that we had last night in China, it's reason to be excited. It's not reason to do cartwheels. Um, you had services data, which is the best in 14 months. Uh, but the bottom line is that the PBOC in the short run is actually throwing deleveraging out the window, and they're throwing as much credit uh, at the problem as possible. Um, what it means also for the rest of the, the regional markets and certainly the regional economy is very good. But obviously, as we're also getting closer to yet again another trade deal, it seems like we get a little boost from this every single time. Um, the, the technical guys will look at that EM, semis, you know, pick something global cyclical, and we've actually extended the move. So we've gotten through resistance. We're at fresh levels now for a lot of things that we're running into the same areas. And, and, and look at the DAX. I mean, if anything, Europe's probably been the most beleaguered market across the board. DAX traded the strongest really anywhere in the world to today on the back of really not great data over there and PMIs that aren't showing you anything great. But yes, I think global data for the short run has bottomed. I've been saying this and I think this is what we're seeing. I mean, the key seems to be if you believe there is a turn in China, then that means all sorts of good things for the other markets in that yeah. region, as well as in Europe, particularly Germany. Yeah. So we, you know, you, just to play devil's advocate, sure. because why not? So let's play. There is a, there's clearly a turn in China. They're clearly throwing money at it. But does that embolden them not to do a trade deal? One of the things people said was, you know, the China market's down 30 percent at one point at its trough. They're going to be forced to the table. Those markets have come screaming back. Now, are the Chinese in a better position now not to do a trade deal with the United States? I don't know what that means for the markets. Clearly, it doesn't mean anything. But I would say it's emboldened them to sort of string this thing out a little bit longer, quite Can frankly. Can I take the other side of that? Sure. Yes. Okay, I mean, y- you could look at it. We up. were down a lot, too, at that same time, right? So you could, if you wanted to make that argument, and I don't really agree with it, is that we would have a stronger twice, hand. We would have a stronger hand, and you could say they would have a stronger hand. I think we are both better off because we perceive there to be some progress, some real progress, and we do seem to be getting to what I hope are more granular issues that we are, so that we're really closer to the end, which I think would be better for all of us. And I don't know necessarily if the, if the rally back, either in China or in the United States, is entirely on hopes of a trade deal. I mean, at that same time, we are also getting a Fed that, that pivoted in a major way, and we also got China throwing a whole lot more stimulus uh, on the economy. And so even without a trade deal, or let's say the trade deal gets strung out, whatever it is, uh, we've got stimulus here. We've got stimulus here. We've got a Fed that seems to be much more cooperative for the markets, at least right now. And we'll see how things play out the rest of the year. But I think the, re- the reality is, strong hand, I'm not really sure that's the right way to say it. I think 
to Karen's point, I think the reason that we're seeing China start to move to the upside is the hopes of a trade deal. And I think that's what's really pushing it. And when you look at names like JD, or if you want to go to AS, ASHR, it's the China 300 ACE shares. You look at these things, they're from 21 to 31 this year alone. I mean, these are running and screaming to the upside. We see derivatives activity like I've never seen. Those are names we used to see once in a while. JD, for instance. ASHR, never saw it before. Never saw it before. So what this year, now? it's hit 14 different times since the start of this year with unusual option activity, looking for more upside. We even had some more today in both names. So I think that this is signaling not necessarily the strength necessarily of China, I think it's signaling more, hey, look, there might actually be a deal here that'll be both good for both sides, actually. Well, I also just think that, I think this deal is actually, so you may think that actually this may embolden the Chinese. I think the Chinese love the deal that's on the table right now. I don't think China's really given up anything. Um, I think this is actually a deal that, if anything, means that it, it gives them the ability to buy stuff they were already going to buy. They've actually paid some lip service to um, some technology transfer. But, but in the scheme of really where they're going for China 25 and one belt, one road, I don't think China's given up anything at all. I think they'd be very happy to call this a deal right here now, whatever those details are. Okay, so let's say, let's say there's that turn in China and you see the options activity, Pete. Do you go one step further in the trade in that you also are bullish on Europe in other parts of the world that are so dependent on China yeah. and a turn in China, whether it be because of the trade deal or because of the I think it would be reason to have some bullishness about that, but I think there is much more going on within those economies that's within those economies and less about China. I, I think all of Europe right now has all kinds of different issues, and it's not just China-related. I think it's within themselves. And so for that reason, I'd rather either be in the U.S. I, I love being in the China names. I'm in those two names that I mentioned. But I, I look across Europe right now. I still see too many holes, too many debts, too many issues across so many of those countries that I'd rather just stay away. It's interesting. You heard the sirens. I mean, that, that's somewhat, it, it's, somewhat it's, frightening. It was like well-timed, right? Yeah. It was cue the sirens. So we'll talk about chips later. <laughs> People at home are probably wondering why we're not talking about We're going to talk about the chips later because that's its own Love animal, chips. right? Huge. I mean, yeah. without question. But what you have to bring up, I think it's a fact. Listen, I think Deutsche Bank is paying attention to what's going on with these trade deals, right? One has to. I mean, they're not living in some vacuum. Yet today they downgrade Caterpillar, which I think we would all agree to some level is sort of the poster child for global growth and a potential for a deal with China. They lowered their price target from 152 to 128 in the midst of all this. So they're clearly seeing something. So I would agree that there's no question the hopes of a trade deal have sort of buoyed this market. But you can't deny the fact that the Chinese have thrown liquidity in a... So this is a head fake. The turn, the recent turn in China. I'm just saying. And the rise in the markets. I'm head fake. just saying. What I don't do think, think I don't think it has to be even you know, necessarily a sustainable long-term economic you know move higher. Be clear also the delta in the Chinese economy has been one third of global growth for the last decade. So it's important that we see something here, and, and I think we're getting that. But you know back to what's working. You know the, the the cyclical trade has not just been semis. It's not just been emerging markets. It's been materials. It's been energy. It's been anything that actually has been almost. It, it, it's seemingly not happening with, with reflation because when we look at yields, but actually you are getting reflation. And I look at copper prices, energy prices. Energy has been the best trade this year. Yeah. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at crude, it's been the best chart in terms of volatility, in terms of consistency. And I think these are trades that you stay with. And to Tim's point, energy has absolutely been the biggest of all the different derivatives categories right now so far in the first quarter. It was energy, in my opinion. And if you look at a lot of the different disclosures I have right now, it's energy, energy. And I, last time, I think about a week or so ago, I think I have 13 different positions in different energy sources. And it's all because of the unusual activity and obviously this move in oil. I mean, we're watching it right in front of our eyes. Just that steady move up towards 60, pushing on 60, pulling back, getting over 60. 
I think energy definitely still is the play. And I think this quarter, I think energy is going to have another good quarter. So just emerging markets would make me at Brazil with energy, as ugly as Brazil is. I think you got to have some exposure there as well. Let me connect the dots back. I love, you know, when I was a kid, actually, they didn't let me into a nursery school. Why is that not surprising? You couldn't connect the dots. I had trouble, uh-huh. I had trouble connecting the dots. True story. It's like 1967. You I couldn't think. count because dots are it's no, a I don't one, know. Two. Tim, I okay. told you before anyway. the show to turn off your phone. Yes, I'm sorry. Nobody heard that other than you if and you, now everybody think, else. If you think that the turn in China is a head fake, then, then can you believe in that global cyclical trade, energy, materials, et cetera? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the energy, well, because energy, energy is going higher for different reasons. I don't think energy is going higher because you have some global re- reflation, re-engine, uh, re-acceleration of, of, of economic strength. I think it's all a function of the fact that you have central banks around the world torching their currencies and commodities are going higher. So you can believe they're going to go higher. I just believe they're going higher for a different reason. Let's settle the score on the charts, at least. Mm. Our next guest says the rally is just getting started in China. Chris Verone of Strategus is here. He's over at the Plasma. Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Yeah, um, I agree. I think this rally, frankly, is just getting started uh, in China. Let's start with the FXI, and let's put this in some context. 54 all the way down to 38 last year. That's a 30% decline uh, in the China ETF. But what I think is important is this really started to base and start to bottom uh, in the fourth quarter. We've consolidated here over the last couple of weeks between that 42 to 45 range, start to poke our head uh, above, uh, right above that 45 level. We think ultimately back to the new highs uh, is the story. But what I think is really interesting, when we look at the long-term China picture, you could argue that this rally is just getting started. Here's the current move for Shanghai up 27 uh, off the lows. If you look at the last three major China rallies, up 400%, up 97, and up 157. When China goes, it really goes. We think this move is just getting started. Maybe what's most interesting on all these moves, volume expanded meaningfully. It happened in 04, it happened in 06, it happened in 2013, 2014, and what do we see recently? volume starting to pick up. So in a retail-driven market, volume is important. That is Shanghai. We like that picture. And we like the global growth story. I think the fact that copper here, over the last number of weeks, this is copper versus gold, industrials versus precious metals, copper outperforming, I think sends a positive message that growth is actually getting better here. So how do we play it from a stock perspective? I think, um, I think some of those Chinese ADRs are really timely. This is NetEase, big company, $35 billion market cap, it's put in this nice rounded base over the course of the last year, year and a half. And this is coming after a 50% decline. So they took half uh, of this stock down. We think it bases here. We think it turns up. The last several days, just accelerating uh, out of this move, broke out through 250. We think that goes back to the old highs. And if you want to play it domestically, I think U.S. tech is a way to play China exposure. This is Amphidol, another big stock gets a third of its revenue from China. It just broke out of this 18-month base, got above that 100 level. We think, again, 125. So you can play these without owning China directly. You can get exposure here. But we love the trade. We think it's just getting started. Chris, come on over. Come on it's not over. even a question. Over, Evan will right. bring the chair over. And I'm glad that Chris mentioned Amphenol. Sure, that's what we all talk about. The maker of connectors and electronics. It is, in terms of market cap, as big as General Mills and Southwest Airlines. And it's somehow we rarely talk about it's it. It's a big so, stock. So, it's yeah, a exactly. great picture. Exactly. Third of its revenue from China. Hmm. I mean, we mentioned the chips, right? Look at what's happened in the chips today. AMAT, I mean, a third of its revenue from China. 
big turn there. So it's not just maybe hope of a deal. I think there's legitimate signs that global growth, at least expectations for global growth, has started to bottom. That copper chart is really important. That's held up great here recently. So if you are to believe that there's some sort of turn in China, then should we, and this is the discussion that we're having, should you then uh, invest in the related trades like a Germany, for instance, or a Brazil, so something that is leveraged to China? You know what's really interesting, and we actually wrote about this this morning, if you start to look at some of the deep cyclicals in Europe, European autos, European tire companies, European big, they're actually showing some signs of life here. Now, a lot of these things are down 30, 40, 50 percent from where they were a year ago. It takes a leap of faith to believe that these are viable, but we welcome the improvement. And I think at the very least, if this was a part of the world you've been ignoring for the last 12 months, it's at least time to start doing some homework here. So, Chris, uh you can argue that China's actually been outperforming, emerging's been outperforming the S&P since October. Um, when does this trade get long on the two? 3,200 on, on the Shanghai, actually, to me, that we broke that today technically means risk on for, uh, you know, at least another 5% based upon the charts. But where are we? I think that's going to be modest. And I really want to reiterate, when China goes, it goes. We're up 27 off the lows. I think the general consensus out there is that people have missed this. I don't think anyone's missed anything yet. The rally in 04, the rally in 06, the rally in 13, 14, these were 100% events. I don't know how much more this goes, but I think this rally has just started here. So is this rally predicated on a deal, though? And what if we don't have one? <laughs> I think the charts, whether it's China, whether it's copper, whether it's European autos, whether it's European banks, is suggestive of deal or no deal, something around the world's getting better, and that's what I want to play here. Chris, thank, thank you. you. Good to see you. Chris Verone of Strategic. By the way, even, even though tensions with China are high, Chris was drawing with his middle finger when he was doing the China charts, not because... It has nothing to do with that. Just, just, or... how he draws. Yeah. just how he draws. That's the finger he chooses. Yeah. Guy, what do you think? <laughs> I think Tim didn't have to point that out. Most yeah. people at home probably didn't see I it. I actually now. didn't notice myself. I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I think we have to out. point this out. We're a friendly show. We don't. We, you know. Infidel is an interesting company. That might have been Power Pitch years ago when it was called Power Pitch. It's not called Power Pitch anymore. But the fact this stock it's is going never from, called Power Pitch, by the way. But go ahead with Infidel. Stock is going from Fine. 76 to 100 in basically a month, month and a half. At 24 or so times forward earnings, it's not cheap. However, SunTrust Robbie Humphrey just put a $112 price target on it. So maybe it has legs. It just finally broke through this huge double top at 95 maybe it gets 112 but you're talking about a valuation that's probably a wee bit extended and if you don't want to get into those higher valuations why not just stick with something chris also mentioned which he brought up big big cap tech i mean what has been absolutely just scoring to the upside lately it's been big cap i'm not just talking chips i'm talking have you looked at ibm's move since that low i mean we're talking about a stock that's gone from 100 Towards $145 a you share. You like IBM here. Yeah, well, I've, I've owned it for a long time, and I'm feeling better about it than I did quite a few months ago or whatever. But you look across, and I'm not just saying IBM, but it's a lot of different. I mean, Microsoft today over 120. You know, obviously, you look through all of these different sales force, you start to see some recovery there. Or, Oracle, Cisco, all these names, big cap tech, that's moving to the upside. All right, coming up, the man who moves the markets, JP Morgan's Marco Kalanovich is back. He is more bullish than ever. Find out what has him so excited about stocks. That's next. Plus, the retail rally heating up, and Karen's got one name she says is trading at a major discount. Find out what it is when she delivers her fast pitch. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing dragging all day by ticking up in the after-hour session. This after new reports involving last month's Ethiopian Airlines crash. Phil LeBeau is live at the NYSE with the latest. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, we'll talk about some of those uh, details regarding the initial report on that crash, details that we have confirmed independently. But I want to start off by showing you a couple of pictures we just received within the last half hour from Boeing. Look at this. This is the cockpit. It's a little hard to see. Towards the bottom of the picture is the CEO of Boeing, Dennis Mullenberg. There he is getting out of a 737 uh, MAX plane that just completed a test flight. Boeing announcing this afternoon that Dennis Mullenberg went on a test flight with the pilots. They tested out the new 737 MAX MCAS software solutions that they are putting together that they want to have certified, hopefully within the coming weeks. They said that the test flights went well. In regards to the Ethiopian air crash uh, test and the investigation in there. A couple of details here. First of all, there are reports that the pilots were struggling with the MCAS software and they followed Boeing's procedures to disengage, to turn it off after takeoff. Uh, then they struggled manually to regain control of the flight before they inexplicably turned it back on, and that was shortly before the plane crashed. We will be getting the initial report on that crash investigation, including a lot of details from the black boxes. That comes out 3.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, Eastern Time. As you take a look at shares of Boeing, we should point out that Boeing is adamant that it expects to file its application with the FAA for its fix, the 737 MAX software, in the coming weeks. That's not a change from what they said last week, but this is what's been weighing on shares, guys, as you take a look at shares of Boeing over the last month. Remember, it's all about how long it will take for the FAA to not only approve that fix, but then clear the 737 MAX, which is a separate question, clear it to fly again. So, Phil, um, if the pilots did everything that Boeing was you know, telling them initially to Correct. do and the plane didn't yep. respond accordingly. Does the software fix address that problem, which Boeing didn't think was a problem before? Well, a couple of things. First of all, remember that the 737 MAX that crashed in Ethiopia was getting data from only one angle of attack sensor. And it's the understanding of a lot of people who have looked at the data that we've talked with that that, seven, that angle of attack indicator, that it may have been damaged, if not ripped off of the plane, by a bird strike at takeoff. So if that's the case, if that's what happened and that's what's giving you data to the plane, that answers a lot of questions. The, the software fix, Melissa, will take data from two angle of attack sensors in addition to other changes that will be made to the software. So it's not just one, it's two sensors that would then be feeding into the plane. And it would also enhance the training for pilots to disengage the system so that they could correct any issues that might pop up if MCAS was pushing the nose of a plane down. Forgive me if I'm missing something, though, Phil. I mean, if the pilot was trying to disengage 
the the system and it kept and reengaging. Is, it, is that a, is that because it was missing the AOA sensor from the start? Well, the plane was reading something different and so therefore asking, reengaging, or or was it a problem with the entire system where it could not be disengaged? Great questions, Melissa. A lot of these we don't know until we actually see the black box data. And that's the question for tomorrow morning. How much do the Ethiopians tell us about what they saw on the black boxes in terms of the data, the cockpit voice recorders? How much information do they give us so we can get a better picture of what happened? Look, this flight only lasted six minutes. And the natural question is going to be, did the pilots truly follow the procedures exactly as they were supposed to, or did they, in the, in the moment, which is understandable, in a panic, start doing other things which they shouldn't have done, like turn the MCAS system back on? These are all questions that I think people are hoping to get a little more detail about when the uh, initial report comes out early tomorrow morning. Okay. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us from the New York Stock Exchange. So with this latest report, will the Boeing software update be enough? I mean, can investors start thinking about being in this stock at this point. I think so. And we, I think we sort of said it when all this happened. None of us knew where the bottom was going to be, but we talked about the ridiculous amount of volume Boeing traded over the course of a week, anywhere from 30 to 40 million shares, which is about seven or eight times normal volume. The fact that, you know, short of a class action suit, which none of us, I think, saw coming, this stock was probably rectify itself in a month, month and a half. And that's really what's happening now. So you might start to see analysts sort of reconfigure their numbers and say, you know what, worse is behind us. Boeing has bounced off the low. We said it about a week, couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. I think there's a very good chance that we come back here in June and Boeing is back above 400. Remember, by the way, quickly, Boeing went from 295 to 440 right. in a straight line. So even the move that we would saw, you could make it. Yeah you could make an argument for. The fact that it only went down that's on the back of this, to me, is the most surprising thing. Well, then maybe that means that there's more more room to go to the down. Oh. I mean, we have been in situations before and for various different, very different circumstances, granted, where companies, something horrible happens for the EP company. EP oil spill. Right, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh-huh. And you think it's the bottom. And then there are, there are all these investigations and new regulations, blah, blah, blah. And it's not the bottom. I don't know. What... Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think, interestingly, the day the FAA grounded them, I think that was a huge gift to Boeing, right? It gave them, it just calmed everything down for a little bit, and it gives them some time to try to come up with a fix without, you know, while the planes aren't flying. I don't know if they were to come out with the all clear, they, you know, submit their fix, and in two weeks or four weeks, the FAA says fine, and then they start up again. I don't know if it completely gets rid of any taint or, or discount that the, and, and this is an enormous, enormous part of their future, right? $600 billion-plus of orders over the next few years. So I, I don't think you have to jump in right here. I think that at 22 times, it's on sale for Boeing, but relative to the market, it's not completely on sale. Okay. Chip stocks catching fire today. AMD up nearly 10%, for instance. We'll tell you what is behind that move. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Much more fast in just two minutes. The man who moves markets is back with a huge call on stocks. You won't want to miss what he has to say. Plus, Karen stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one hot retail stock she says is trading at a major discount to the markets. Find out the name when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on when Contessa Brewers in Boston with the latest Contessa. Day two of this hearing has just wrapped up and CEO Matt Maddox, Melissa, was getting grilled. Number one, we heard an admission that he knew of a settlement with a cocktail waitress in 2007 uh, that involved, they said, the winds wanting to keep a longtime employee who had fallen on hard times. They wanted to keep her and they awarded her $700,000. He said he never elevated that. Uh, up the chain of command in terms of getting more information about what was really behind it. The second revelation that we heard from Matt Maddox was an admission that uh, the president of the then president of Wynn Las Vegas had come to him and said that the Wins as a couple, Steve Wynn and his wife Andrea, had asked for a sensual massage and it was making employees feel uncomfortable. Maddox says he told them to, to knock it off. Uh, he told Maurice Wooden to tell the winds to knock it off. And they came back and said, oh, hey, there was maybe some confusion. Was it a Swedish massage? Was it a sensual massage? But anyway, it's been taken care of. And again, he was grilled. Did you elevate that to HR? Did you tell general counsel? Did you talk to the employees? He says no. Listen to what happened next. There were a lot of different people that I think were trying to protect Steve Wynn. And the last thing that they would want to do is tell me. Why is that when they report to you? Um, I think I'm known as a, uh, a very straight arrow. I am the one that would always... But one they can go right around. That's, uh, you know, Mr. Wynn was the boss. I wasn't. The hearing continues tomorrow with more testimony from Matt Maddox. Tough day for the company today. Some explosive revelations there, Melissa. All right, Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. Uh, she said it, explosive revelations, a tough day for the company. And yet, for the week, the stock is up 15%. So does this particular, is this chapter behind it? I think it is. I think the most important chapter is China. And by the way, Macau estimates for those properties are down 15% from EBITDA where they were six months ago. I, I like Win here. The Macau numbers are getting less worse. Stocks went from 97 or so to 137. And if you look at it, there's a very good chance it trades up to 150, which is a 50% retracement of this entire move. Goldman Sachs just upgraded the name. We've been pretty steadfast on this. I think it continues to grind higher. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears here. Check out the semis on fire, soaring to a brand new 52-week high today. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more on this monster move. Hey, Bob. And it's about China. The semiconductor ETF just shy of the historic high. It hit, that was about a year ago, and simple reason is China. So the five S&P companies with the biggest exposure to China, hey, guess what? They're all semiconductors. Qualcomm, Micron, Corvo, Broadcom, Texas Instruments, 
all get, look at these numbers, 40 to 60 percent of their revenues come from China. As optimism on China, on China trade talks has risen, so have the semiconductor prices. In fact, semiconductors are the leadership group among tech and cyclicals in general this year. AMD's up nearly 60 percent, Lamb Research, Micron, look at this beautiful chart here. Applied Materials, Broadcom, they're all up 20 to 40 percent. Not surprisingly, there has been a very close relationship between semiconductors and the China stock market itself. Look at this chart. The semiconductor ETF is up about 28 percent. Guess what? Shanghai is up 28 percent. The two have been moving in lockstep virtually for the entire year. Still, the markets are pricing in a lot of optimism here. You know, Broadcom, for example, is a big Apple supplier, and we know all about the softness in China, where Apple gets nearly 20% of its revenues. The whole play is based on stabilizing demand, not just in China, but also in Europe. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. I got a Pete on this. You've been. Uh Pounding the drum on this. Yeah, I got a fair amount of exposure here. And I think I think it's just because of the fact that I've been encouraged more and more that I do think there's going to be some sort of a deal. And obviously, even before the deal, if you look back, some of these names were punished even when they'd report some pretty decent numbers. And then people always try to read ahead. They hear something from Apple. They try to read ahead. Well, this is going to absolutely impact. The reality is, whether it's Micron or Xilinx or you go through the group, AMD and NVIDIA, all these different names, they have so many different categories and verticals where they get a lot of their, their money from, their revenue streams. I think that there's a great opportunity across the board there. Whether it be an AMD or an NVIDIA, you've got gaming, you've got all these different aspects where you can go, big data. I think Intel's still my favorite. Because I think it might not be the most sexy of all these names, but it still has a great new CEO. And the CFO that they just hired away from Qualcomm, I think, is going to be huge for the company. Bob Pisani had a very interesting chart that he put up. As he does. Shanghai Composite versus the Semiconductor ETF, right? Moving in lockstep. If you don't believe in China... Guy Adami. No, no, no. I didn't say. I said You're I don't right. believe that there's a deal. I mean, they're, okay. they're throwing money at this sucker. So to our earlier guest, Chris Verone, said mm-hmm. this might just be the beginning. He might be right. But where do I go in terms of I get Intel. But you look at a stock that's sort of underperformed that seems to have its legs under it at 13 times forward earnings. Corvo, to me, is pretty interesting. Upgraded at Goldman Sachs recently. I think KeyBank just upgraded it as well. That's a stock that valuation makes sense, and it hasn't run nearly as far as the rest of them. So, and, and we talked about this, remember. Semis peaked last June. Basically, you know, they are your leading indicator. They are telling you. They told you what was going on in the fall. If you listen to everything else, even the IMF out today saying the second half of 2019 is going to be better. This is telling you what I think we're about to hear from Marco. But the bottom line here is Intel, if you want the most diversified play, I I hate chasing valuations in semis. And and therefore, Intel to me is right down the middle. Um, I also think that, you know, you could have something like Micron, which could be a value trap. Uh, Intel is not that. All right, let's bring in Marco, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as the man who moves the markets. J.P. Morgan's global head of macro quantitative and derivative strategy marco kalanovich he's making the case for the rally and he says new highs by next month and actually more specifically marco your year-end price target is three thousand and you say that we could actually hit that year-end price target by the end of next month that's Why? correct so How? price target is three thousand for year-end you know now if few things align so that means a china trade deal that means like we have this uh, brexit uh, you know push it out or, or it's not too disruptive and sort of if earnings season is not complete disaster, I think market will go higher and we could actually see the, our price target being achieved earlier, you know, maybe even sometimes in May or June. 
I see also part of the checklist is that hedge funds will jump back in. Are they not in right now? That's correct. You know, like, so when we look at the uh, positioning data, you know, be it uh, uh, our own data or when we look at the sort of hedge fund research indices, indices, HFRX indices, if you look at the exposure to equities, beta to equities, is actually at all-time lows. You know, it's like so really? all-time lows. So they yes. missed this whole they check missed back. Lar largely they <laughs> missed, you know, so, so they were playing long short. Um, and there are some good bets long shorts because gross exposure was actually higher. So, so they did make money. But in terms of net exposure, meaning how much of a beta you carry, it's actually very, very low. You know, so the rally so far has been about short covering early on in January, uh, continuation of buybacks and some of the systematic strategies adding exposure. You know, and these systematic investors are, we think, about 30 to 40 percent um, uh, of their historical percentile. You know, like so actually they're quite a bit below average still. You know, like so basically hedge funds near all-time lows, systematic guys below average, we think there is a more sort of a fuel for this rally to go if, again, some of these things do happen, like a trade deal and, uh, and we don't, let's say, blow up on Brexit. So let me ask something. In terms of your 3,000, where do you have, is the Fed uh, neutral, zero? What's, what's your expectation to come up with that 3,000? Well, house view is no hikes, uh, no hikes this year. You know? And, and uh, you know, so, so that's where we're looking at kind of like a few quarters out. So we think Fed will definitely not do anything uh, for foreseeable future, even if the sort of, you know, market, uh, market does rally and economy shows, si you know, signs of recovery like we're seeing in China. Uh, so we, we think Fed is not going to act for, for a little while, you know, which gives enough uh, a runaway, enough time for market to, uh, to, to reach all-time highs and, and, and go higher. So, Marco, again, your dashboards that you're looking at, I think you've been pretty clear on this stuff. Um, Europe has now broken through some technical levels. I mean, that to me seems like the place that most people are definitely offsides and not in this trade. That's for sure. You know, Europe was a little while ago kind of the most shorted or most underinvested yeah. abandoned area. Uh, you know, I think Europe will be derivative of China, you know, so I think for, first we are, we're seeing sort of PMI turning in China. If that sort of uh, continues, eventually Europe will, will be lifted as well. So Europe was weighing on a sort of global, global cycle. It's still abandoned, you know, like China is moving, you know, China probably has some more uh, way to go. At that point, I think you may want to uh, turn to Europe. Clear the air on this whole inverted yield curves thing that people have been talking <laughs> about. It's widened out recently, but what do you make of it? So persistent, you know, uh, yield curve inversion. So yield curve inversion that lasts for a long time, historically, is not good. You know, I think everybody agrees with that. You know, what we look at, we look at the first time when the inversion happens, like happened Friday uh, about a week and a half ago. You know, so since the first inversion, actually market shows extraordinarily strong returns 12 months out, you know, and then sometimes 20 to 30 months out starts rolling over, you know. So, so I would say the first sign of inversion, first instance of inversion is actually positive sign prolonged inversion, let's say we have an inversion for one or two months or three months, I would be a lot more concerned about that. But to your point, we had it sort of from Friday for like two, three days. We don't have it this week, you know, like so, so we will keep an eye on that, you know. But, you know, just an instance, short instance of inversion, actually historically it was positive, not negative. Okay, so aside from your checklist, Marco, positive Brexit news, a trade deal happens, hedge funds jump back in. Aside from those, the opposite of those three things, what, what is the biggest sort of risk to this bull thesis in your view? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say. So you have the, some of these tail risks. You know, can we have something out of the White House, out of the left field, you know, some new trade war or some new scandal or some, you know, so those type of things. But we don't have anything that we would kind of point our finger to. Mm. At, at this point, you can cer certainly be surprised. You know, like Miller investigation was cle clear. So that's also marginally, I, th I, think it's, I think it's a positive. Look, China PMI started turning relatively recently. You know, like, so I, I don't think we should kind of be 100% sure that that's an inflection point. It does look to us as an inflection point. So we'll, 
watching this data next month. You know, we'll watch the data in, in Europe. You know, like so. So I, you know, we are kind of cautiously optimistic that China did make this turn. Uh, we could we could get surprised that it was maybe some seasonality and you know not really real turn. Okay, Marco, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan. What do you think? Well, I, I think that you know if you, if you look at the U.S. labor numbers, that might be something also that could give the market at least a bit of a gut check. I mean, we had a weaker ADP today. It doesn't necessarily always match up, but we have a big payroll number on Friday. It was a terrible one last month. We're still in the place where a growth scare is much worse than an inflation scare. It's always like this, but I think this market is still a little gun shy on on the global recovery. So um, I think the U.S. data is is still paramount right now, and I think it's been okay. But we need to see some decent numbers on Friday. And the U.S. data, like you say, it, it, we need to keep watching that. And obviously, Marco was just talking about the China data. And is this an inflection point or is this, you know, we need to see a little bit more than what we've seen just one time. Best in 14 months or whatever. That's great. But I think the reality is we're in a trading market. We continue to be in a trading market. The derivatives market continues to tell me, hey, look, Pete, best way to play this is in the options it, it, world. It really does. It streams out, out sometimes <laughs> through my hey, computer. Pete. But, but it's exactly what whisper. we've been, oh, the options whisper. <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, I remember coming on the show not too many months ago. We had high volatility, and I said, this is the time where it's the best opportunities are finding the great quality stocks and selling yeah. options against them. Now it's more of an option buying environment and buying protection on some of those. So I think you just have to trade what the markets are giving you. 13 volatility gives you an opportunity to own volatility very cheap. I wish the options market would talk to me. Who's talking to you, John? <laughs> talk to me a lot Friday today. <laughs> you know who's talking to me right now? The producer saying like, we got to go. Gotta all, go. Right, all right. All right. Touche. Take a look at this stock. We like to call it the millennial stock soaring in the last <laughs> week. We'll give you the name and tell you what is behind this move next. Plus, Karen's in the bullpen warming up to the pitch for the one stock she thinks is ready to race higher this quarter. That's straight ahead tonight on Path. <laughs> Take a look at this move in Boeing in the after-hour session. We were just talking to Phil LeBeau, and at that point, uh, about 25 minutes ago, the stock was up less than a percent. Now it's higher by 3.6 percent. As Phil reported, the company actually tested the software fix. The CEO, Dennis Muhlenberg, flew in the cockpit of the, of the software fix test, um, but the stock hadn't been moving this much. He is, uh, Phil, that is, continuing to report the story out to see what is behind this big surge in the after-hour session, kissing $400 a share at this point. You allowed to say that? <laughs> I think she it. is. She said it. Uh, switching gears here. Retail stocks having a run this year. Check out the XRT ETF up double digits. Karen has a name she says is on sale. She's over at the Plasma with the Fast Pitch. Karen, take it away. Yes. Well, here's a name that is definitely on sale. And for a value girl like me, I love a situation like this. So this is the case for Capri. And yes, it is pronounced Capri. I don't know why, but it is. So this is the company that it was, Michael Kors, which is a steady growth business. But they've added Jimmy Choo and Versace. So what they're doing is building a mini luxury conglomerate. And luxury conglomerates trade at very big P.E. multiples. This one actually does not. It doesn't trade like a luxury. It doesn't trade like a great brand. It doesn't even trade like a good brand. It trades like a middling department store, which I think is excessively low. And so let's see, why is that? I come to Versace, Versace, Versace. Let's take a look at what happened to this stock. We can get the next chart. Right here, they announced they're acquiring Versace, and they're paying about $2.1 billion or so. And that's in November. The stock is around 70. If we come all the way back to where we are now, right here, the market has taken off $2 billion, give or take, of market cap 
post the Versace deal. So actually, it's like they bought nothing, but they didn't buy nothing. They actually bought a really interesting business, and I believe they're going to be able to grow it a lot. Let's just go to look at valuation of Capri versus other companies that you might consider to be comps. So here we look at the ones that are most frequently cited. Ralph Lauren, if we look here, trades at a multiple of mid-teens or so, mid to high teens. Tapestry, which is Kate Spade and Coach and Stuart Weitzman, actually trades right here at about uh, middle to low teens. But here we'll look at Capri and it's trading at nine. So I really believe that they are going to be able to grow these businesses. Jimmy Choo and Versace are both luxury businesses. And one other thing really important, even though this one trades at the lowest, it has the highest operating margin of all three. So I'm long. This is, a, in my opinion, one of the better value plays out there in the retail space. Hey, Karen, I got a quick question for you. Yeah. And I love the valuation levels, but do they have enough growth? And you just brought up margins. Where are the best margins right now? The margins are they're going to be building the accessories business for both. They've told you they believe they can grow next year, double digit earnings, uh, 10%. So I'm doing 10% next year and the year after that, which gets them even cheaper. So I believe in this management team. I think they can do it. All right. Time to vote. No more questions. Are you buying uh, Karen's pitch on Capri Holdings? I go to our fashionista. Mm. Uh, Guy Dami, what oh, do you say? Head you thought you were going to say Tim. I, I, I know. I thought it was going to be Look Pete. at my answer there, Mel. Can you read that? Well, it I says, wanted it to be ironic. Says, so the Blue Grotto. Now, my Italian friends will know that the Blue Grotto is actually in Capri, not Capri, as Mel, as Karen said. But what I will say, 22% operating margins, that'll get you done. Guy took all my time, so I'm just going to vote yes with Karen, my very cute balloon-holding <laughs> friend here. Eats? I'm buying. i got to tell you, when you've got growth and you're seeing those margins, giddy up, sister. Wow. Clean sweep. Are you at home buying Karen's pitch for Capri? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. Plus, it is the millennial stock that analysts are calling the Trojan horse for Whoa. digital spending. Find out the name and if any of the traders are buying when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Grubhub shares breaking out this week, getting a boost after BTIG called it the Trojan horse for digital spending. And that's our call of the day. The firm initiating coverage on the stock with a buy rating, giving it a $95 price target. Shares have been cut in half since hitting a high back in September. And this comes as competition's heating up, too. Postmates and Uber, uh, which operates Uber Eats, both set to go public later this year, while DoorDash keeps eating up market shares. So do you grab Grub ahead of these IPOs? Karen, what do you say? I actually, it's very expensive, but I like it. I think, you know, they're really in a great spot. When you, when you have it on your phone, we have Seamless. You, you know, they own Seamless. It's so easy to do. They're just, they have me locked in, right? And there's hundreds of thousands of customers, and it's a great asset light business in some ways. I think it's interesting. And the analysts making the point, the more and more restaurants you sign into, the more and more customers you get in, because that's where you go, because all the restaurants are in that one app, and it makes it a lot easier. And they've been, they've been adding them right and left. And we are grub hubbers, I, I must admit. So, um, but I, I, I agree with Karen. I think the valuation. But the question is, is the competition in the price? And is that part of this, this you know, essentially the co- stock getting its knees knocked out of it? And, and I think that is, but I, I'm still not sure um, they're going to win. Uh, I, again, when I look at Uber Eats and all the other comp- competitors in the space, I think it's crowded. I think the margins are slim. 
I feel like you don't order out that much. I don't order out much, but I do order out occasionally. And I can tell you that I, I'm not when a Grubhub I do. guy. I'm not a Grubhub guy at, at all. I, I just pick up the, the phone. I let him do the door dash. I let, <laughs> I let him do whatever. But again, this is another case. I think it's like a lift where you've got so much competition out there. And can they make money? And if the valuation is as high as you're intimating that it was pretty high, I don't want to have this stock. I think there are other better opportunities. Quickly, guy. What do you think? You, you think mocking. I've ever? No, <laughs> I call the restaurant and say I'll be there in ten minutes. And you actually go and physically and I go pick and it up. Physically you get go. in your then car, I chat you drive with the restaurant. Sometimes, if it's not ready, I get a slice of pizza and wait. That's what that's what we do here. This Grubhub stuff. So, like twenty years ago. Uh, for more Grub on Grubhub and what is next for the company, do not miss Jim Cramer's exclusive inter- interview with the CEO. That is tomorrow night on Mad Money. Coming up on Fast Airlines have been flying high and one fast money traders betting the surge will keep on climbing. We'll tell you what has them so bullish much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of American Airlines soaring nearly 10% over the last week. And some traders think the rally has the wings to fly higher. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yes. So American Airlines Group did see about three times the average daily options volume today. And by far and away, the May 38 calls were the most active. Over 45,000 of those traded in all. That included a purchase of a block of 9,000. Somebody paid 35 cents for that block. And those are bullish bets that it's going to be above that $38 strike price by May expiration, which is about six weeks away. So that's suggesting a move to the upside of about about another 13% from here. So it looks like after having bottomed out, as you pointed out, relatively recently, it looks like they may be poised for a rebound. Pete, you like the airlines. I do. I bought these calls today. I saw these as well. I thought it was a great opportunity. Risk reward. That's what it's all about. And if the risk is 35 cents for an upside call like this, stock doesn't have to get to 38. It starts moving to the upside. These options start to move to the upside. Yeah. Karen, you like you. Yeah. We were just talking about them yesterday. I like the airlines. I I mean, you know, you got to trade around them, but I don't think this move in AAL is enough to start to start fading it at all. I'd be a buyer if it were traded or faded. Delta up another 3% today after 6% yesterday and 17% in five days. So um, around 60 bucks, I think you trade these things. I think you trade them hard. Trump valuation, by the way, I think I agree with, and his hair seems to be flying away. Mike Cohn needs a haircut. Kind of puffy, right? I noticed that. I did notice that. But still handsome. (laughs) Mike, thank you. He's lying. Look at him. Uh, Mike Cohn in San Francisco. All right. We'll see. We'll see about that. See you Friday. (laughs) Options Action Full Show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Final trades and the poll results on Karen's Fast Pitch next. You know what Karen likes to listen to when she's shopping for shoes? What? Dirty dancing because Karen is having the time of her life. America is buying her pitch for Capri. Actually, it's 50-50. But it is the closest thing to a win that we have seen well, here on the right, right. in a very long time. So, we'll Have we had a tie ever? I don't know. This it's exactly 50-50. Exactly. Tie goes to the trader. All right. Time for the final trades. Pete. I don't think the semis are over. Intel's going higher. Giddy up. Winner, chairwoman. Yeah, well, if it's good enough for half the people watching, then it's good enough for me. Right. I'm going to go with Capri. Tim. Despite all this bullishness and cyclicality, I actually like AT&T here. Letter T gets it done. Southwest Air, sister on the back of this bomb nice. news. Yes. Right. L-U-V that, coming. That's yeah. for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is, 
conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute, and craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.